You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the Metabolic Classroom, a nutrition and lifestyle podcast focused on the truth behind why we get sick and fat. What you're about to hear was taken from a live broadcast streamed on InsulinIQ.com. The Metabolic Classroom is brought to you by InsulinIQ and by Health Code Meal Replacement Shakes. Episode 23, Estrogen and Fat Storage. Sex hormones control many processes in the body and estrogens have a special role in metabolic health. Let's explore the multiple and diverse effects of estrogens on where and how the body stores fat. There are few things more of interest, of course, than sex and sex hormones for myriad reasons. When it comes to sex hormones, they will affect, uh, to my knowledge, every single cell in the body to some degree, except red blood cells. But essentially, every cell in the body is going to sense these sex hormones and then respond to them in some way. Of course, there's obvious changes uh, that will dictate the development of a baby, whether the baby will come become male or female. That is, in fact, under the control of these sex hormones. The brain will be affected by these. Now, of course, the prototypical uh, idea or the prototypical understanding of the sex hormones is uh, in the context of uh, fertility especially in the case of a woman where uh, the woman bears such uh, what I like to say, the woman bears the metabolic burden um, when it comes to, to child, to fertility, she has to carry the baby. And then she, in, in typical circumstances, she will then nurse or breastfeed that baby. So she's still, the baby's still 100% reliant on, on, on that, on mother for all of mother, a baby's uh, nutritional needs. So that's the metabolic burden that I'm talking about. Now, people will often think uh, that because a woman is gaining weight during pregnancy, that it must be that uh, these, these female sex hormones are causing the weight gain. Of course, there are a lot of things that fall under that umbrella of sex hormones, even female sex hormones. In fact, I'm going to be, I'm going to try to be careful by saying 
uh, estrogens, plural, because there is no single hormone called estrogen. We have within the family of estrogens, there's a few little hormones that have varying um, levels of intensity or, or action throughout the body. Now, all of this is just my long-winded way of kind of getting around to the point that fertility, especially in a woman, is intimately linked to metabolism or metabolic health, to say it another way, is linked to reproductive health. Now, estrogens tell the little girl, the little girl who's developing, you have a little boy and a little girl, um, and they look the same. Their bodies, if they're just running around, you can't tell the difference between them until puberty hits. Then all of a sudden they start to look differently. And, and that's because largely of where the kids are storing their fat. And in the case of the estrogens spiking in the little girl, it is dictating the growth or, or the, the storage of fat at prototypical female sites. And that would be breasts, hips, um, well, breasts and hips mostly. And then of course, as the woman ages, it can be a little elsewhere. So this, uh, that's an important fact right there. Estrogens tell the body where to store fat. And so uh, it, it doesn't matter what the body is. Uh, estrogens will tell the body where to, store for, where to store fat. Now, however, the idea, the myth is that estrogens actually promote fat storage. That is not true. Estrogens actually help prevent fat mass from going too big, from going too far. And I'll come back to that idea um, when I highlight menopause at the end. You know, I'll kind of go through this in a temporal or time-based um, discussion in the life of a woman. And Carly will, of course, intervene at any moment if she feels <laughs> I'm stepping, um, speaking with false authority. So I'm not pretending to be a woman at all, just understanding, understanding um, fat tissue. And, I'll keep and, you, you know. in line. Yeah, good. Thank you. Now, overall, one thing that's interesting in the past, um, people who've tuned in um, prior to this, remember, I'm sure they remember perfectly, um, when I spoke about the role of fat cells in insulin resistance and how fat tissue grows. And you'll recall that when fat tissue is growing, when someone's getting more of what can pinch and jiggle, there are two ways of that fat growth, uh, for that fat growth to happen. One is through hypertrophy, where the number of fat cells is set, and, and then any growth beyond that set number of fat cells is where each individual fat cell is growing. Again, so that's hypertrophy or hypertrophic fat cells. That's a sick way to get fat. And again, uh, for reasons we've already highlighted, and so I won't get into that now, a healthy way to get fat is through hyperplasia where you have fat cells getting a little big and then simply dividing, a little big and then dividing. Estrogens actually promote that form of fat growth in women. It promotes hyperplasia, but not everywhere, of course, but most especially at the butt and hips or the buttocks and hips, or I don't know what other euphemism I should use to be more appropriate, the rear um, of the woman. Uh, so that, unfortunately, much to her chagrin, because of her estrogens, that area of the body actually has an almost, almost limitless potential for fat growth, but not everywhere else. Now, but again, it's not the estrogens that are causing the fat growth. It's just that estrogens tell those cells, hey, if you're going to grow, grow through hyperplasia. That's an important distinction. Estrogens aren't stimulating the growth. They're just simply dictating how it will grow. And Jack, in that preamble that you shared, I was very careful in the wording that I wanted there where estrogens determine where as I, the body will store fat. And I talked about that. And it will also determine how the body store fats. And that's what I'm alluding to now. It does not determine how much. 
the body will store. I'll come back to that idea in just a moment. But with regards to insulin sensitivity um, and, and insulin and the growth of fat tissue, this is why women can be fatter than men and be much healthier, much lower risk of diabetes, much lower risk of heart disease, fatty liver disease, and all the myriad problems, what we call the plagues of prosperity that derive from insulin resistance. It's because the man doesn't have that hyperplastic stimulus from estrogens because a male will have relatively so little estrogens in his body. And the androgens don't stimulate like testosterone, don't stimulate fat growth through hyperplasia. It's just, you have your fat number and it's set. In fact, androgens don't really play a part much at all. So estrogens are promoting, if any growth is happening, it just tells the fat cell how to grow. And that's through hyperplasia. And remember a hyperplastic fat cell is an insulin sensitive fat cell. So the body stays insulin sensitive by extension. Now, menopause. <clears throat> so when a woman has, so what's interesting is that puberty and menopause are, are these two bookends of a, of a woman's uh, reproductive years. Um, and estrogens very much dictate those bookends. When estrogens are climbing, that's the beginning of fertility. When estrogens are dropping, that's the end of fertility. And, and it is interesting to note the metabolic changes that come with it Again, what I believe is quite reflective of these two fundamental processes. I mean, fundamental to human, to the species survival, fertility or reproduction and metabolism. So in the case of menopause and the loss of estrogens, the woman starts to lose three, uh, sorry, two particular aspects of, of estrogens that are good. Two things that are two things that happen in her body with the loss of estrogens. One, she loses the fat controlling effect of estrogens. And this, uh, this is seen, uh, in fact, across every mammalian species that I'm aware of. If you remove the, the female's ovaries or somehow block the effects of estrogens or induce an artificial menopause, so I'm saying when you're actually intervening, the, the, the animal, the species will gain weight. Uh, whatever the female of that species is, it'll gain weight. This has been done in mice and hamsters and rats, in, in pigs, in, in humans you know, the, the ultimate, the pinnacle of all species. So that, that's, uh, that's reflective of how estrogens do keep fat mass in check overall. And that's important. Second, estrogens, of course, are telling the body where to store fat in these hyperplastic subcutaneous or right beneath the skin fat depots, like the butt and hips in particular. <clears throat> the loss of those estrogens means that if there is still a stimulus present for fat growth, which I've not gotten to really yet, although I've alluded to it. So remember, estrogens aren't telling the body how much fat to store. It's controlling fat growth and where. So the loss of those estrogens now means we start to shift the fat. And it shifts from that, those peripheral subcutaneous fat depots and starts to tend to be stored more where fellas store fat, in particular around the abdomen. So the woman starts to have more central fat storage. That's, and again, that is a result of the loss of the, the protective effect of the estrogens combined um, with alterations in other hormones, which I'll finish with in just a minute. Now, with regards to menopause then, um, and hearing the, the metabolic consequences of losing estrogens, that of course gives rise to the question, well, what about estrogen-based hormone replacement therapy? The evidence is in fact quite clear Hormone replacement therapy does in fact mitigate some of these metabolic consequences. 
A woman will tend to keep fat in typical female places, butt and hips, and she will tend to stay more insulin sensitive if she's on hormone replacement therapy. Now, let me be clear. The metabolic consequences appear to be um, obvious in that the, her metabolic health will tend to be better preserved with hormone replacement therapy. Now, <clears throat> one comment I just feel like I have to make, I, I sometimes think we in our hubris um, think we know better than, than uh, think we know uh, everything. And we will look at a woman and say, ah, well, every woman has this reduction in estrogens and that's unnatural, so we're going to bump them back up. Now, I know this can be a very delicate topic. I will just say when you start to alter what is so obviously a natural process, <clears throat> there could be unintended consequences that are not good. And this is debated, but estrogens, but there's significant evidence to support this, including the Million Woman Study. Um, if someone could look that up, go to Google Scholar or PubMed, the Million Woman Study, and I'm finding that estrogens with hormone replacement therapy do in fact increase the risk of certain cancers, um, uh, like of the breast and the uterus. But that's debated. Uh, I would want everyone to know that. Um, but there is a lot of evidence to support it. And so a woman just would, all I would say is that that just needs to be considered because estrogens do stimulate the growth of certain tissues, like breast tissue. And I don't mean breast fat, the fat in the breast, but breast tissue and, and uterine tissue. And so that needs to be um, the enthusiasm that, that hormone replacement therapy is going to correct metabolic problems, I believe, needs to be checked or countered <clears throat> with uh, the realization that in all likelihood, there's going to be some kind of consequence. And I'm in no way trying to give any advice in that regard. I'm not anyone's physician. Um, and I wouldn't presume to know what any, how anyone is going to weight certain priorities. Now, as I wrap up this <clears throat> sentiment on estrogens and their effects on body fat, I've been alluding to this idea that estrogens tell the body how to store fat hyperplasia, they, they tell the body where to store fat by altering the expression of certain enzymes in blood vessels and fat cells in certain areas of the body. But it doesn't tell the body how much fat to store. Any guesses on which hormone does that? Insulin. Yeah, yeah, mm. our, our hero, yes. our hero. So insulin is the hormone that will tell the body how much fat to store. It'll tell the fat cells how much fat you, this fat tissue, all you cells in front of me, I'm insulin. This is how much fat you need to store. Now, estrogens are going to say, all right, okay, insulin has given us our marching orders. Now we're going to store fat through hyperplasia. Whereas androgens would say, insulin's giving us our marching orders. We're going to store fat just in the belly, you know, and it's going to be, we're not going to grow any more fat cells. It's just going to be through hypertrophy. Now, so I, I wouldn't want anyone to think that estrogens in any way have supremacy when it comes to overall fat storage. And so a takeaway, my thought is, I think there's a hopeful takeaway. Um, and that is that while nature has um, determined that estrogens will drop in, the, in, in a woman's body to indicate the end of reproductive years, that isn't, I don't think a reason to just throw up your hands and say, well, I give up then because if my estrogens are gone, now I'm going to start storing fat in an unhealthy place and it's going to be harder to keep it off. Um, that all is, is true. I have to grant that, but you can control insulin um, exquisitely well. 
so estrogens are now out of out of your control. In fact, to a degree, they're out of sex hormones are out of anyone's control. They do their own thing. Um, insulin is not. We can have a firm grip on that lever. We can determine whether we're pushing it up or pulling it down. And the relevance of this is reflected in a study. And uh, I just sent the link, and I think we'll be able to show it in the include it in the show notes. But this study was published in the late 90s, and they looked at weight changes in postmenopausal women who were put on, it was low-calorie diets, which I'm never really an advocate of at least starting with. I'm never an advocate of starting with low-energy diets, but even still, they put them on a low-calorie diet, but in two groups, which is the best way to do it, a, a randomized clinical study, a low-carbohydrate group, which of course is clear in a way, the best way of lowering insulin, or a low-fat group which is a good way of lowering your calories, but not necessarily lowering your insulin. And the postmenopausal women that were placed in a low carbohydrate diet lost over twice as much weight as the women that were placed on a low fat diet. So this was more, in fact, it was more than double um, as effective in, in controlling body weight just by cutting the carbohydrates. And I would say then lowering insulin. So estrogens are vitally important uh, for overall health in men and women, of course, playing a more obvious part in women and fertility, also in how the body and where the body stores fat. And the loss of estrogens doesn't mean a loss of control when it comes to metabolic health. Just remember, while estrogens are certainly relevant, when it comes to metabolic health, insulin, once again, reigns supreme. And thank goodness, that's one we can control indefinitely. Great. So I have a question for you. Um, mm -hmm. Typically, the question is Ben, how the hell do you think <laughs> you're justified in talking about female <laughs> anything? No, no, that's not the question. Okay, okay. You're okay. more justified than I am. You understand this better than I do. So just because okay. I'm female doesn't mean I understand the female okay. body perfectly. <laughs> I would agree to that. So um, one of the things, first of all, I feel like you're addressing um, one of the questions that women typically have with estrogen. The other question, um, well, maybe I'm going to save the other question because I want to ask this first. Um, typically, when we have clients who come in um, and they start, you know, changing their insulin resistance, becoming much more um, insulin sensitive you typically, the way I describe it to people is it's almost like you have an uh, anti-aging effect. So people who are like just starting into menopause will actually go back to having a period every month mm -hmm. or people who are um, post-menopausal will start to feel like they're back into the menopause or perimenopause stage. Um, and so it almost seems, and then you have like people who have been infertile, obviously, who who gain their fertility back. Um, mm -hmm. So it's almost like with our, with our sex hormones, you anti-age as you control your insulin. Um, yeah. What do you make of that? Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, there is evidence to suggest, so there are, I think there are two directions we could take this, or actually maybe only one. So it, women that are overweight or obese do tend to have early menopause, um, earlier than a lean um, age-matched um, uh, woman uh, or leaner age matched woman. So th there's that, uh, that, that we do see that there is that association um, where obesity does appear to promote early menopause. 
I suspect it is insulin. Um, as people know, in the context of uh, polycystic ovary syndrome, too much insulin inhibits the production of estrogens. And so if a woman has been overweight or obese and, and hyperinsulinemic, I think I could very much imagine a scenario within, uh, within her body, this metabolic um, environment where the, the chronically elevated insulin is um, so aggressively inhibiting the production of estrogens. Well, maybe not so aggressively. It has been subtly um, inhibiting the production of estrogens. And then as the woman's approaching that period of life where the estrogens are naturally coming down, the chronically elevated insulin is just smashing it down much, uh, well, a little sooner um, than it would have otherwise. And so we, we, we artificially cr uh, clamp down or, or put the brakes on the estrogens. And then if you, because of insulin, and if you resolve the insulin, you know, the engine was still idling. There was still momentum to the, to the car. It was still on a downward slope. We'd artificially braked it. Now we took the foot off the brakes. And now that, that, that um, menopausal, yeah, yeah the, the fertility has resumed. So uh, I don't know, though. I am speculating. But um, that, that series of events uh, certainly makes physiological sense to me. So there seems to be a disconnect, in my mind at least. Maybe you can help me clarify this between the science here that you're presenting and what we see in practice. Because, um, and I don't know what you think of this diagnosis, if you think this is a woo-woo diagnosis, kind of like some of the adrenal fatigue stuff, but mm. um, a lot of women are told that they're estrogen dominant, meaning they produce way too much estrogen and not enough progesterone to balance the two out. And quite typically you see somebody who um, comes in and wants to control their insulin, who's also estrogen dominant. So these women are having um, too much estrogen and too much insulin, which it sounds like you're saying shouldn't happen. They should, they should inhibit each other. But could it could estrogen be one of those hormones that it it has like a, you know, it elevates and that doesn't mean necessarily that it's working better, kind of how we've talked about thyroid and and, S and insulin and different other hormones? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. So I will say I have, this is maybe the way I'll start the answer. Um, I have never heard or seen in all of biomedical literature a phenotype or a description of, of women being estrogen dominant. I do think that is a kind of pseudo medical term, like, like, uh, like adrenal fatigue, just like you said, I think that's a perfect um, comparison. So that to me does matter that at least that yells loudly in my ears, uh, where I think if I can't, I literally, like just right now, as you said, estrogen dominant, there's not a single um, uh, hit that's relevant on all of PubMed that has those okay. terms together, other than like mutant mouse models where you're altering expression of estrogens in a very artificial environment. So I don't think that actually happens now, or, or it's not something that is, uh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll say it that way. I'll be tough about it and say, I, that doesn't appear to be something real. Now, what might be real is that you do have a woman with high estrogens and high insulin. Um, in that body, I would, uh, I, I, I don't know. I would just say with estrogens have an enormous range um, in the blood. And I would just need to know for certain is the actual, is, is her range of estrogens actually outside of, of normal? Yeah. Carly, how do, when, when clients ask you about that, how do they, how do they come to the 
um, determination that they are in fact what they call estrogen dominant? How do, how do yeah, they... it's typically a hormone specialist. And most people mm. who focus on hormones aren't going to be a, a traditional MD unless it's, you know, thyroid. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, yes, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, that does, um, that does smack a little of um, kind of pseudo science to me. But Ben, with all due respect, high, to, high, to high levels of estrogen though can be measured, right? Oh, oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just can't help but wonder um, what is the person selling who's saying that. Yeah. yeah. Hey Ben, can I get a and, question? Oh, go ahead, Carly. And high levels of estrogen, even in a normal sense, can also be um, be causal for cancers and stuff too. It doesn't oh, have yeah. to be replacement, right? Oh, that's, that's absolutely that. true. Yeah. yeah. Like if you have, um, when you have little girls nowadays and we, I think we've talked previously about precocious puberty, yeah. um, where, uh, where you have little girls with too much fat cells and fat tissue that's promoting too much leptin. That's when we spoke about it, when we spoke about leptin mm-hmm. and that is then driving that, that what's called the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis to stimulate things along earlier than they should. It's not that the estrogens get artificially high or much higher than in a healthy range, it's just they went too high too soon. But that does start a clock where if she's living a life where she has a longer period of time potentially with higher estrogens, and there is in fact an increased risk of, of breast cancer in those instances. Okay, what, what do you think about the idea of xenoestrogens? This might be kind of woo-woo-y science too. Defi- yeah, yeah. So, so you mean estrogen-like so, molecules that come from the environment, like from yeah. plastics and estro- uh, and de- detergents? Yeah. So the the effect of these on humans is very very debated. Um, so just to make that very obviously uh, obvious, I don't know of any evidence in humans that confirms this effect. The effect of these estrogen-like pollutants on other animals is beyond uh, is very clear. Um, like reptiles. Now, of course, that's not a mammalian system, so it's a bit unique. Um, reptiles are known to be very adversely affected um, by these estrogens that get into waters. And, and that's why it's so much easier to study amphibians, of course, because one of the things that's interesting, a lot of the, um, like a lot of women on birth control, they're urinating out remarkable levels of estrogens. And these estrogens then just get into the water system. Uh, for example, in Singapore, where, where we used to live, they recycle their water. They're very, very efficient. And so all water, culinary, sewer water gets recycled. But in the process of cleaning it, you sterilize the, the, the daylights out of it. It's, as clean, it's the cleanest water you could drink with regards to pathogens, but they don't get out um, the estrogens. That's just a harder molecule to clear out from all the urine of all these women taking, taking um, birth control. So the, the effect of this on humans, um, I think, uh, it, it is something I worry about, frankly. And it has, I will say that despite the lack of human evidence, the evidence in animals, the abundance of evidence in non-human animals um, makes me cautious enough that I'm very mindful of what kind of detergent and what kind of plastics uh, we use in, in our home. Well, one, one of the things I guess will time will only tell um, how mm-hmm. real this is, because one of the things that we're all using multiple times a day now is hand sanitizer. Oh, and that's one of the things that, you know, people have, have talked about being, being one of these fake estrogen, like, you know, these xenoestrogen have having the same effect on your body. Um, yep. so 
Yep. Typically, in fact, it's a rule in our house. My kids, I've told them, you only put that on if someone's making you put that on. Yeah, me too. Wash your hands. That's a much better that's, idea than using right. hand sanitizer. Yep, that's exactly um, right. And and um, wouldn't these explain, or can you come up with other ex- some other explanation of why you have started to see so many more little boys with, um, my kids call them moobs, like man oh, boobs, yeah. you yeah. know, yeah. boys seem to be more shaped like a girl today mm-hmm. than they have ever been in the past. Do you? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's a great question. So uh, I, I can't, I can't say, uh, I cannot speak to the degree to which environmental, environmental um, estrogen like pollutants have are, are driving that. Um, although I, um, I share a concern that you do that, that might be playing into it. I, part of the problem I, I do know <clears throat> is that we are getting far more obese far earlier than we ever have before. And when you have a little boy's body, a pre-pubertal boy, um, he, uh, he, he's just going to store fat in a kind of asexual kind of generic fat pattern, which, which tends to just be female-ish. In fact, one of the interesting aspects about um, uh, mammalian development, certainly in humans, sexually, is that you need androgens to tell to stimulate male development in the absence of the androgen sent like testosterone and other testosterone like molecules the body just sort of defaults towards female development and so i always joke with my students that if you have a baby a, a fetus that's going to become a man it has to be told to be a man otherwise it's just going to be a woman a woman doesn't need to be, need to be told you know a lady just <laughs> does the dishes the guy's got to be reminded rich take out the trash you know but nevertheless <laughs> Um, one, so back to my point though, uh, the environmental pollutants may be a part of this where a boy is storing fat in a way that looks female, um, alternatively or additionally, probably man's fat cells will do something different. A, a, a male's fat cells will actually act like ovaries. This is something I talk about in my book where when fat cells are getting big in a man or, or even potentially a boy, although these studies were done in men, um, it, it actually is converting testosterone into estrogens. And so that's where, and that, that plays partly into why a man who's overweight or obese struggles with fertility. It's, it's almost the exact opposite scenario that you see in a woman who is metabolically unhealthy. She can't make enough estrogens and has too much testosterone. And that turns off her fertility switch in the man. It's just to me, brilliant, um, engineering in the body in the man it's the exact opposite process he is metabolically unhealthy and so the body is telling him hey you're not ready to to reproduce we need to get our house in order before we do this and to to make him infertile part of the process is by converting his testosterone into estrogens and that happens in his fat cells not in his testes so uh, and that of course can start to result in a in a kind of blurring the line of how he's storing his fat maybe more breast hip area Interesting. Carly, uh, follow-up questions to that? Nope. I'm good. Thanks for answering all those. Great questions. Yeah, those are great questions. I love these questions. Then I got a question. So if, if, if women that are hitting menopause and their estrogen is starting to drop and Mm -hmm. they receive these hormonal therapies to to increase their estrogen, um, I'm guessing there's other factors involved besides just fat. Is there other metabolic, uh, uh, obviously, are they feeling better? Are there other other things that are happening besides just the accumulation of fat? 
Um, Does that make sense? Well, or? I think it makes sense. Yes. Yeah, so I can really just speak to the metabolic just to be on, on firm ground for, for me and my expertise. So she will have an easier time controlling weight and she will stay more insulin sensitive. And I'd say those two processes are very much um, related. Um, um, I, I think there is a, someone would say, well, hormone replacement therapy also lowers heart, heart attack or heart disease risk. And I would say that's not an estrogen dependent effect. That's the result of staying insulin sensitive, um, frankly, but that might be, of course, just because I'm uh, insulin's the nail and I got the hammer. So I see it everywhere. Um, I'm going to just keep hammering it. But uh, independent of that, uh, there are other considerations, like I said, cancers. Now, again, uh, I wouldn't want anyone to take this, what I'm saying as gospel. I would, I say it because if I were talk, having this conversation with one of my sisters or my wife, or I would bring it up. Um, I would bring up the very real data that are out there that that the body is engineered um, in, a, in an incredible way. And I just can't help but think there's a reason these estrogens are going down. Sure, let's do what we can naturally to mitigate some of the, to soften the blow. Um, but, you know, but let's not think we, let's not have such hubris to think we know better than, than how the body was built. The way, the way I've heard it explained is that estrogen equates to youthfulness. And so, um, once you slowly stop producing estrogen, that's your body's sign that it's dying, basically, you know, to put it bluntly. Um, as you lose the estrogen, you, you get closer to death. And so I think the women who are promoting estrogen replacements are saying that this is going to keep you youthful for whatever reason that means, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I don't know that overall mortality is any different. Uh, I'm yeah. certain if, yeah, I, I, I think they die. This but time just time. like for... Um, feeling youthful and looking youthful, estrogen is part of the part of the equation. So. I'm guessing, well, I'm certainly guessing part ben, of, it's certainly part of the marketing. I don't know. Yeah, to what degree yeah, exactly, actually, exactly. Yeah. That's what that's what's touted. What's interesting, yep. Carly, because on TV you don't hear anything about homo- hormonal replacement therapy for women, but for men, testosterone oh, is all over the place. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. 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 What a what a feat of just incredible marketing is all I can say to that. Um, although of course that, that low T is, a, is maybe we'll say that's on topic. So I'll just elaborate for a quick sec. I think it's, I think it's remarkable how, how prevalent this has become. It's almost impossible for me to listen to a radio segment without that coming up in yeah. some, in some way. Yeah. And I just, I admire the way these guys have marketed this. I mean, <laughs> yeah, if someone crazy. is actually is deficient in testosterone, like, I mean, genuinely deficient, well then, then yeah, we got to intervene, but that just is so uncommon. It is so uncommon that he's actually deficient in testosterone. It might be low, but there's no evidence to suggest that low testosterone is going to make you any weaker. Um, androgen testosterone levels vary massively in, in even athletes that are at the peak of, of physical perfection. It's testosterone number isn't the issue or testosterone amount. It's how well the androgens or the testosterone is working at say the muscle and the bone. Um, and that's a different issue, which isn't even clear in and of itself. But I would still say if a guy notices he's gaining weight, he's not quite as amorous as he used to be and not feeling well, it's not the testosterone. It's the insulin, dummy. Yeah. Lower the <laughs> insulin and things will correct themselves. Yeah. Blood vessels will dilate more easily. Fat tissue will take care of it. You'll feed your brain some ketones. You'll be more energetic. It's the insulin. It's I, not I, the testosterone. I see I see a new... Um, uh, 
like tagline next to our logo that we've never had before. It's the insulin dummy. Yeah. Yeah, Jack, sometimes I just can't help it. I got to use strong words to just beat these ideas in. Hey, we've got so there's few, me speaking in strong words. We, we got a couple questions coming in. Rich and Carly, if you're okay for a minute, do you have something else? No, go ahead. Let, let me give, let me just put a couple of these from uh, Bjorn. As part of breast cancer treatment, women are suggested to go on hormone medication. Is there data on how this can affect insulin resistance? Yeah, so Bjorn, what a great question. So if I, I believe what you're referring to is that certain breast tumors will be screened for their expression of estrogen receptors. What can happen in some breast tumors, because every tumor is different, there's so many mutations that happen in cancer. It's never just one single mutation, which is why drugs so often fail um, because there's so many different mutations. But some of the mutations that happen is that the, these breast tissue cells will start expressing more and more estrogen receptors. So they become, they exaggerate their sensitivity to the growth signal that insulin, that, that estrogens are giving the breast tissue. Of course, that has ramifications with regards to hormone replacement therapy, which I touched on that estrogens do stimulate the growth of breast tissue. Now, again, I'm not saying breast fat, which is, you know, a lot of the substance of of the breast, but breast tissue, and that's what becomes cancerous. It's very, very rarely the fat in the breast. It's just the, it's the mammary or or, or, um, related tissue. So some breast tumors um, will have a mutation and they will be overexpressing estrogen receptors and so then part of the chemotherapy will be actually blocking those estrogen receptors. And, and in fact, if it is an estrogen receptor positive breast tumor, that's, that's one of the more treatable ones because you, these estrogen blockers work well enough that you can really um, aggressively um, stunt the growth, if not shrink that, that tumor. Hmm. So that's even all reflective of this estrogen related aspects of, of breast cancer risk. Now, does that alter insulin sensitivity? I have, I don't know. Um, I don't know of any evidence um, on that. Looking at um, breast cancer patients um, taking estrogen blockers, uh, it, that might have been done because now that now Bjorn, now that you asked the question, it's a really clever one. It seems obvious, um, but I've not seen a study on that. Hope that helps, Bjorn. Uh, let's take one more Hil- from Hilda. I just finished reading the Secret Life of Fat. And it mentions that estrogen after menopause is mainly produced by fat tissue. Does this estrogen Mm. still tell the body where to store fat? Is this estrogen beneficial when in balance with androgens? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that is absolutely true. In fact, I devote a little section of my class when I talk about reproductive disorders to this very phenomenon. So postmenopausal, um, the woman's fat cells start to kind of act similar to what the guy's fat cells were doing. Cause earlier I'd said how the man's fat cells start to act a little bit like ovaries when he has too much fat. Um, a woman's fat cells post-menopause can do the same. Um, uh, however, I have never seen any evidence that this is having any significant um, systemic or whole body effects. The, the, the amount of estrogens being produced from the fat cells is minuscule compared to what's coming from the ovaries so uh, I don't believe that's in any significant way influencing overall health. Okay, hope that helps, Hilda. Um, These are informed questions. Aren't they great? I was going to say. Yeah, super thoughtful. Uh, from, 
from Sylvia or Syl is a perimenopausal woman metabolically better on HRT? Um, perimenopausal well, woman metabolically yeah, better. Yeah, so, so if uh, once again, if we only stick to the metabolic, then probably yes. Although I don't know a study on this, so I'm speaking a little. Um, I'm going off the cuff a bit, but I'm very, very confident in my speculation. Yes, if we strictly are speaking about metabolic health, probably. Okay. But it's just so sad to me that we have totally gone to this extreme, I think, to think that we need to stay youthful as yes. we age. I think, um, you know, the marketing world has done a beautiful job of taking all of our brains and not allowing us to think these things through for ourselves that all we see now because we hear it so often is youth is equals success or happiness or whatever and i think let's celebrate the stages we're in and and you know be excited about getting old and wise and and celebrate people who are you know, in those stages, I just think it's really a oh, sad, I, I, sad Harley, phenomenon that we are experiencing. I agree 100%. I'll never forget this segment I was watching with my kids. And it was some documentary about elephants. And of course, everyone knows that elephants are a matriarchal um, social structure. And they noted, they were talking about how within that matriarchal, matriarchal or, or motherly structure or female-based structure, the, the matriarch of this little cohort when she, she, these, these elephants will stop having babies and they become almost completely care providers for the new babies. And I think how difficult would it be if you have a grandma who's still having her own kids when it's her daughter who just had her kids who needs help from, from grandma. I mean, it's just this yeah. time, it's this since time immemorial, mom has kids. And then when mom's done having kids and mom's kids start having kids, which tends to be around that time, how I think it's something quite beautiful that mom can look at her daughter having a child or, you know, daughter-in-law and, and say, man, this is tough. And grandma's here to help because if grandma was still having kids then grandma would say, yeah, you take care of your own little, <laughs> right, right, exactly. I got, I got mine. I got to deal with. Yeah. Um, and so I do think that um, Carly, I love what you said. There's a lot of nuance, even philosophical perhaps in what we're talking about. But to me, it is just reflective of the fact that we should not be guilty of hubris um, in, in thinking we know better than either how the body was designed or how it evolved, whatever idea the person wants to espouse or uh, both of those ideas. However we came to be who we are, I think that it was the best way um, and the body is designed to work its best. And I think that we, we flirt with disaster when we try to try to undo it. And, 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 and Carly, I love, again, what you said. I think it's also reflective of this kind of growing selfishness um, that we have in our society. Um, anyway, I, I'll stop lest I, lest I go you know, and, really outside and not my to say area of expertise. Yeah. Not to say let's try and get wrinkles, but I tell my kids wrinkles are wisdom scars. Like you get wrinkles as you become more wise. They, it's just a byproduct of of aging and let's not try and get rid of that. We don't, I don't want to stay youthful in my, in my mind and my way of thinking and, you know, my ability to see, see truth out there. So mm. if I have to deal with a few wrinkles, 
as I age, so be it. That's how I feel. Yeah, you know, Car yep. Carly, Carly, in fact, when I was really losing my hair 15 years ago, I thought I can try to fight this or I can just lean into it. Yeah. <laughs> Brother, you, know, yeah. you did a, you did a <laughs> full on uh, dive into that baby. Hey, I hey, leaned into it. <laughs> hey, Carly, Carly, one thing to add to that is I think that, um, I think that for many people, when they come to that realization that I should be enjoying every every aspect and every uh, stage of my life, I think a lot of times people fear that because they fear that they will be unhealthy. And, yeah. and, and I think it becomes a realization in a lot of people that I can enjoy each stage of my life if I remain healthy. And, and I think that's kind of one of the big, broad uh, messages of Insulin IQ is that as we age, if we can stay metabolically healthy, then um, we can better enjoy those stages of life because you start to equate becoming old with being sick. Right. And those are the things we really need to celebrate as we try and um, reverse our insulin resistance is how do we feel? Um, I, have, I have a beautiful client who um, has been dealing with arthritis for years and she has been basically chair-ridden and she feels 30 years younger. So who cares what, I mean, she's lost amazing yeah. amounts of weight, but who cares about the weight loss um, when you feel 30, 30 years younger? That is like remarkable, yes. you know, just by changing what you're eating. Yeah. Any, any, other, uh, any other topics or, or excuse me, any other questions or comments related to our uh, metabolic classroom topic today? Well, me, I'll, Jack, I'll make one final comment. I, I do worry that um, a woman who is taking hormone replacement therapy and really likes the way she feels might have heard us talking about this and just think, ah, oh, to hell with you guys. Um, absolutely. Say that. Say that um, uh, to me, uh, certainly. Um, I, and I do, I tried to make that point clear earlier. I do think there are, there are outcomes um, to this sort of intervention and there may be good ones and there may be bad ones. And I do emphasize may be on both sides of that. Um, and, and it's just up to her to decide, all right, what, what do I want? And, and is there a risk and is it worth it? If there is a risk at all, is it worth the, the risk of, of this benefit, whatever that benefit may be? So I very much appreciate that's an individual decision. And I don't want to be um, uh, steering any person, any one direction or the other. And there might be two different types of hormone therapy going on here. One where you're trying to correct something and bring it back into norm. And one mm -hmm. where you're trying to slow the aging process and, you know, keep you youthful. So they might not all be created equal. So don't think, yeah. I would say we're not opposed to hormone therapy in and of itself. But when you're trying to rewrite history, you know, or mm -hmm. na nature, yeah. That might, yeah. That'd be great. In fact, our version of hormone replace or hormone therapy is lower your insulin. Yeah. That's exactly. our version. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, great. And, and as always, we always like to mention insulin IQ is not your doctor. Dr. Bickman is not your doctor. He mentioned that already. Always work with your physician when, before making any decisions about your health. We always like to include that uh, important um, comment. So thanks, Ben. That was really fun and informative. Yep. Good. Thank you for listening to The Metabolic Classroom. This podcast is brought to you by Insulin IQ, nutrition and lifestyle coaching for insulin control and better health. Learn more at insuliniq.com. And by Health Code, the world's healthiest and most delicious 
meal replacement shake. Learn more at Get Health. That's G E T H L T H dot com. Find us on Facebook and YouTube at Insulin IQ. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.